Today, we're heading to Seattle to chat with Aura Ruddle. Aura's diverse studio sounds like exactly the place I want to learn. Content warning that you may have an urge to head back in time and sign up for lessons with her too. Hello, Aura. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's so nice to be here. We like to start with a little game. I want you to tell me two lies and one truth about yourself, and I'll try to guess which one is the truth. All right. <laughs> I can snap with my toes. I've met Bjork, and I have pet rats. Oh my gosh, those are such good ones. <laughs> wow. Okay, which one is true? Can she snap her toes? Has she met Bjork? I'm going to say the toes. Wow. I, I would love to see somebody snap with their toes. <laughs> I just thought you wouldn't have thought, but you obviously have a great imagination. I was like, how could someone come up with that if they don't do that? So I'm just right. going to guess that. No, I have pet rats. Pet rats. Two. Nice. Mm -hmm. How many? I have two of them. Their names are Clover and Tofu. <laughs> no way. Do you know that my dog is called Tofu? No way. That's like, I haven't heard anyone call an animal that, that so really far. Cute. Is your dog white? He is. And when he came to us, he was kind of overweight from the shelter. So he was like a block of tofu. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's nice. what you look like. <laughs> He's awesome. now much more fit. So he doesn't look like a block anymore. But, anyway. <laughs> but the name lives on. <laughs> so you haven't met Bjork either? No, I wish. Yeah. Was that just a dream? Mm -hmm. Yep. If I could meet anybody, I think it would be Bjork. She's so intriguing. Have you ever seen her perform or anything? Only on the screen. <laughs> so sad. Someday. Maybe she'll hear this podcast and she'll do like a yeah. granting mm -hmm. your wish. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit about you personally, which is great. We'd like to get you to know you as a teacher a little bit more now. So can you pick three words to describe you as a teacher? If you like, you can imagine what you might put on an advertisement, a billboard or something that is advertising you as a teacher. I choose the words holistic and creative and supportive. So I'd say holistic because one of my... Even though I'm a piano teacher specifically, one of my biggest goals as a teacher is to help my students feel like whole musicians and that they can use the piano as a tool to explore the much larger world of music. Creative, because I try to incorporate creativity wherever I can during lessons. And thanks to you, I have so many resources for that. So I do composition and songwriting and improvisation where I can. And I also love finding creative ways of teaching unconventional students. And then supportive because my students have so many diverse musical interests, like some produce beats, some accompany, some do like musical theater. They perform in musical theater or play party gigs, songwriting. And so I love being able to support them when they ask for extra help during their lessons. It's really fun for me. And I specifically named my piano studio Cicada Music School because I didn't want it to be called Piano Studio specifically because I do want my students to feel comfortable using me and any future teachers I hire as a resource. Absolutely. Well, that's a beautiful description of your teaching now. 
Let's hear about where it came from. So when did you start teaching and what was your own musical upbringing like? Neither of my parents were musicians, but they both loved classical music. And so when they noticed I had an interest, they put me in piano lessons when I was about three, which seems really early now that I'm a teacher and thinking about it. But I started on the Suzuki method and kind of continued through the classical track all the way through college. But along the way, my dad discovered this magical piano teacher named Stanford King in a newspaper ad. And he would travel to our home. And he taught my sister and I on Sunday mornings at like 6.30 in the morning, which is awful. <laughs> but I loved him. So it was okay. And he had studied at the Manhattan School of Music in Juilliard in the 1930s. But I, th I think he was by far the most inspirational teacher that I've ever had. And I think about him a lot in my teaching now. He would start our lessons with music appreciation time where he would sit down and just play. He would play jazz standards and rags and have me name the song and kind of tell me about each song a bit. And then we would bust out my manuscript paper booklet and he would sit down and improvise two to four bars of emotive and have me compose the rest of the song. So I have this booklet from back in the day that I can look back on and it's really fun. Also, he was open to listening to anything I was working on with other teachers at the time, which was really nice. But I especially looked forward to when new Disney movies would come out. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to this a little bit, but whenever a new movie would come out, he would come over on Sundays and have his this his hand behind his back and bust out the new songbook for the movie, you know, with like the color pictures and oh my gosh. <laughs> and we would just sight read from the the Disney book and it was just so much fun. I really loved our lessons a lot. Let's see. In high school, I joined the choir because I wanted to accompany the choirs, but my music director encouraged me to join the choir itself also and band and drumline. So I got a little bit more of a broader musical education there. And then in college, I played Bach and Shostakovich for my senior recital, but I went to UC Santa Cruz and they had this like beautiful world music sideshow going on. They had ensembles for like Indonesian gamelan and North Indian classical music and Central and South American music ensembles. So I just joined everything that I could at the time, whatever I had time for. And then after college, I started jazz piano lessons and that opened a whole new Pandora's box for me. And then I lived in Japan for a while and I studied the Koto for a couple of years. And now I make pop music that incorporates that. So all to say, I kind of wish that I realized earlier on in my music education, just how important it is to learn about music outside of that European classical bubble. I think there's a ton of value, of course, in classical music theory and performance, but there's also so much to be learned from other cultures and approaches to music uh, theory. So I hope as the world globalizes a little bit more that music education will start reflecting that as well. Wow, that sounds like such a rich musical experience growing up. And I love that your teacher, I mean, he just sounds like such a treat. Oh my gosh, I think everyone is jealous of that teacher right now. At least yeah. I am. You said yeah. maybe I can relate to the Disney my teacher would never have brought me Disney books, no. even my nicest teacher. No way. It was such a joy. That's amazing. 
And just, I mean, letting you experience, like playing for you at the start and music appreciation. Mm -hmm. Oh, it sounds like a dream come true. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how long those lessons were? You know, I feel like they were about an hour, but I think my sister and I shared the time. And my sister was kind of, she was less interested in a little more hyperactive and much younger. So I feel like it was like, okay, Aya's going to go first. And then however long she wants to go for, she can go for, and then you can hop on <laughs> right afterwards. So okay, I'm not totally sure. But the music appreciation was maybe for both of you. So it was kind of, no, not she really. was like running around the house. and you. <laughs> yeah, she kind of did her own thing. <laughs> okay. That kind of piano lesson. <laughs> nice. No, I just asked because I'm sure many teachers would want to do exactly that and wouldn't feel capable of fitting it all in. So, right. yeah, that's that's a wonderful that he had time to do that, maybe with the flexibility. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So did you practice the whole way through then? Were you so motivated by this teaching method that you were like the most diligent student ever? No. Not at all. Should don't tell my students. Practice was like pulling teeth for me. I would always do the bare minimum unless there was some sort of threat looming, like an adjudication or a competition performance. I practiced the the things that Mr. King, my Sunday teacher, would ask me to practice or like finishing my compositions. But I couldn't find the motivation to practice anything that didn't 100% interest me. So, yeah, I definitely got picked, got kicked out of a couple piano studios for not practicing enough. And oh, wow. Yeah. But I'm grateful that my, my poor parents kept finding me new teachers and let me continue because obviously it was important to me. I mean, I, I always suspected that's why I, my first piano teacher basically kicked me like she said she was cutting down her hours or something mm. I can't remember but you know what that means yeah exactly <laughs> I, I wasn't of interest to her because I wasn't diligent enough probably but uh, mm -hmm. not several studios so you've got that badge of honor so is there anything you wish had been included that perhaps that first teacher didn't include you kind of mentioned world music or outside of classical western tradition is there anything else that stands out to you yeah, I guess that's the thing too about the world music is how do you how do you incorporate that into your teaching as a piano teacher? I've been thinking about that quite a bit. I mean, the best I could do right now is to find music from all over the world or just listen. I had a period of time where we would just listen to different music from all over the world that I had created a list on Spotify and we would just stretch at the beginning of the lesson. Mm -hmm. So they were getting some stretching time and listening time but yeah besides that I think I think everybody's gonna say this but improvisation is a huge one like despite playing in jammier rock bands and taking jazz piano for years after college I still am so terrified of improvising and I just can't get out of my own head enough to really enjoy it while it's happening I think it's really sad as a musician to not feel comfortable just playing but I yeah as much as I incorporate it and encourage it during my lessons it's definitely where I feel the least confidence probably comes from the classical upbringing and the terror that comes with making a mistake in performance but I've been trying really hard not to pass that trauma down to my own students <laughs> let's see I think the other thing would probably be 
reading off of lead sheets that have more difficult chords, like extensions and seventh chords and learning how to do voice leading in a more methodical way. Because I feel like I didn't learn methodically, at least until college. I just kind of winged it. Yeah, I remember joining jazz band in high school and how horrifying that was to look at the music for the first time. And you're just like, what is this? <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. There's so few notes on this page, right? And I feel like I had a really limited vocabulary. So from there, from all of those different experiences, when and how did you get into teaching yourself? I knew since I was really little that I wanted to have a career in music, probably having to do with the piano because that was pretty much the only thing I was good at. But being on a really strictly classical track, it felt for a long time that I only really had two choices as a pianist, perform professionally or teach. And I had tried teaching in college. I taught some fellow students and it just wasn't clicking for me. I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't fun. I felt like a total imposter. So it wasn't until I started teaching English at a high school that I figured out that I was actually really good at getting stu younger students motivated um, about learning and excited about learning. So the whole time I was teaching English, I felt like I was thinking this would be so much more fun if I was teaching music or <laughs> piano. <laughs> and so as soon as I finished that job and I moved to Seattle, I found this new little company called um, Music Lessons on Wheels, I think it was called. And they would hire piano teachers to teach at elementary schools after school, like as an after school program all over Seattle. And it was a super bizarre setup. They would they were trying to make it affordable for the students and fair for the teachers. And so they were doubling children up in the lessons. And it could just be two random kids in two different grades, two mm -hmm. different learners styles and we would teach wherever there was space so sometimes there was a music room but sometimes we just set up our keyboards in the middle of the hallway and after school it's really noisy and kids are running back and yeah. forth and saying like hey Jimmy you know <laughs> so <laughs> I was trying to teach two kids at the same time yelling across a keyboard and it was really hard but the owner of that company was really kind and she let me take some of those students and start my own piano studio. And then it grew naturally by word of mouth into my full-time job. So I've been doing my own thing for about 10 years, teaching mostly grade school children and a few adults here and there. I still struggle with the adults, but the majority of my students right now are teenagers that I've been teaching since they were five or six. So that's really fun. Wow. Amazing. I mean, Amazing that you went through that experience and didn't quit teaching because I feel like that really could have turned you off. You know, you were teaching English and thinking, oh, you know, this I could do music like this. And then you get the opportunity to try. And it's so hard. Like, that's such a difficult circumstance. So luckily they had um, the opportunity for you to teach private school students or sorry, private students at the same time. And so I would go to the people's houses. I think that's why I stayed. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could see, see that there was a method that would work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So can you tell me about a student during that time, at any time over the last 10 years or so, that changed something about how you teach or something about how you do business? 
Yeah, hopefully this counts. But <laughs> I'd say that that student is my own kid. I think as it is with most parents, you have expectations <laughs> based on your own upbringing mm -hmm. uh, about how to parent. And of course, I had this idea in my head about how to teach my own child music and piano. I had years of experience, right? But as most parents know, children can shatter your expectations pretty quickly. My seven-year-old's homeschooled and we've had a lot of fun fitting piano into our, quote, curriculum. But he learns so differently than any student that I've ever taught. And he's absolutely opened my eyes to alternative teaching methods for neurodivergent children. The resources that taught me how to become a better parent have definitely taught me how to be a better teacher and taught me how to embrace students who previously did drive me up the wall. And yeah, that's one of, that's one of my regrets in teaching starting off is pushing students to fit my own mold and my own expectations without understanding that every single student, whether you're neurodivergent or not, they all have different needs and accommodations that you have to understand. And I think it's really important to gauge that right from the yeah absolutely and to understand ourselves I think because when you understand where you're coming from you can label the expectations that you're putting on them that are just based on who you were as a person right and you expect right. you don't expect everybody to be the same but you kind of expect that the teaching methods that would have worked even better for you like that you would have been so excited to learn by will work for others and they I won't always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wish that I wasn't so like confident about that being the way that it has to be. And in the back of my mind, I knew that wasn't true, but I just wanted so badly for everybody to fit that box. And mm. I couldn't help but thinking like, oh, it must be the student. Like, we're just not the right fit. You know, we weren't the right fit. <laughs> at the time <laughs> yeah yeah you as a as the teacher you were then w wasn't the right fit for them right. is there anything else that stands out to you as a mistake it sounds like you feel that was a mistake if I'm labeling that correctly <laughs> is there any other mistakes you've made along the way oh I'm sure there have been so so many but that that's my biggest one I think back on all the students that I made cry you know <laughs> You can't help but think, like, what could I have done differently in that situation day? I pushed them too hard to do what I wanted them to do, and I didn't have that flexibility starting out. And I, I really regret that because I think I, I think about them, those students in particular, a lot and think, like, did I turn them off to music and piano completely because of that experience? So it's really important to... <laughs> know your own limits when you're first starting out and be honest with your families about what you're what you're comfortable with and what you're capable of yeah so with that in mind is there anything you think you could you now could tell your younger teacher self that would make sense to you at that stage yeah there are two things the first one is like don't get complacent when things get easier because you're not the best teacher in the world just because things are easier yeah I'd say like keep up with research the research and development side of the business and keep trying new things because there's always new books coming out there's always new pedagogical research that can fit you better than what you're doing or fit some some of your students better yeah I feel like I spent 
too many years just coasting on what was comfortable for me and trying the same, using the same method books for a really long time without realizing that there's so many cool things out there that I could have been trying out. And then the other one is to get organized really early. Yeah, like use, use my music staff. It's amazing. I don't know how people live without it. <laughs> and keep close track of your students' progress, I'd say is a big one. I, I actually really wanted to thank you for your video about Google Drive and keeping track of your students' progress in Google Drive because I have been teaching for 12 years now and it wasn't until I saw that video that I actually felt confident and comfortable in the way that I was keeping track of my students' progress. Like I had tried the notes function and my music staff and I had tried handwritten things and it just gets like really disorganized and I don't know where anything is from even just five years ago. So I'm so grateful that you gave me a template <laughs> because now I just, I feel like, I feel like so much of a better teacher and like I can write progress reports that actually mean something to the parents. And yes, so thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. For listeners, that's, that's just a sheet and it's deliberately kept very minimal, like it's a Google sheet as in like a spreadsheet. And it's kept to just a row for each week. For that reason, because if you keep all these different notes, you don't get to look at the big picture. So you've got all these detailed notes and you've got way more information than I do in this sheet, but you can't summarize it in your mind like you can't look at it all together. So I'm glad that's been useful for you. Yes, so useful. Yeah, I wish, I wish vibrant music teaching was available 12 years ago because, man, I'm so jealous of teachers starting out now. <laughs> So many resources that are so helpful. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have had to be created by someone else because you wouldn't want my advice from 12 years ago. <laughs> I had nothing to give you. I mean, I was the one not quite making students cry at that time. Not that no one's ever cried in a lesson, but that's the student. Well, maybe more like 14 years ago that I look back and I'm like, what did I do? But we all have those that you just think... If I could turn back time, but we can't. So is there anything you think people misunderstand about our industry as a whole or about what we do as teachers? I'm not sure if this falls enough outside our industry, but I wish more prospective students and parents understood that every piano teacher approaches teaching very differently. I often compare the business of teaching private music lessons to mental health therapy for various reasons. But I just feel like you can't match up any mental health therapist with any client. Both sides have specific wants and needs and accommodations that you have to consider and goals that you need to achieve. And if a therapist or in this case, a piano teacher, if they don't feel qualified or don't know how to approach those goals, then it's okay for parents and students to look for somebody else and shop around. Like that's, that's just how it goes. <laughs> it's not one-stop shop. And at the very least, I think that piano teachers could work with the parents and the students to come up with a good plan at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good point and it's something that's come up once before in one of these interviews and got me thinking about it. 
And it's so true that so many teachers are so different and parents might just be shopping on price or something because they don't know what else to look at. But it's also true that this is one of the benefits of what we do. If they go to school, sure, you can choose your school, but if you go to school and you choose to take chemistry, you're stuck with the chemistry teacher that's in that school. You don't get a choice. If their teaching style does not suit you, well, tough luck. Or, you know, do a different subject. But when you're taking lessons outside of a school environment and you have, especially if you live in a city, you can pick and choose. You can look at different teachers and see what they do differently and find the best fit for your goals for your child or for your child's goals themselves. So absolutely. People need to look around. So finally, then, I want you to imagine a teacher out there who's maybe right at the beginning of their journey or maybe way further ahead than you are but they're feeling much more uncertain than you they're feeling like they never know if they're doing it right they're feeling like they're doing the business side all wrong they don't know how to feel more certain about themselves and how to just feel like they're doing a good job is there any advice that you could give that teacher i feel for you yeah, I think there are so many amazing ways to be a good teacher that don't necessarily involve a robust musical background or pedagogical background. I think the most important part of our job is to keep our students associating, in my opinion, keep our students associating music and piano with joy. Uh, I think music should be therapeutic. And in my opinion, if you can keep fostering that joy for music, you are doing it right, unless you're giving out bad musical advice or something (laughs) yes Um, unless you're literally giving them wrong information (laughs) but yeah if you feel inadequate go arm yourself with knowledge there's so many great teaching resources out there right now if you're listening to this podcast hopefully that means you're already digging into the vibrant music teaching resources but there's so many apps and programs out there like Tenuto and Theta and Note Rush, Supersonics, Top Music Teaching. There are so many. Teoria. So I think joining Facebook groups is a really good start because there's a lot of communication going on there and you can ask lots of questions. And I think we're friendly most of the time, right? <laughs> yes. Well, we try to keep it very friendly and vibrant music studio teachers. So if someone is super nervous, come join our group because we police it pretty heavily. <laughs> Good call, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.